It's time to put principles ahead of politics. This is Sages of the Sun, brought to you by the New York Sun. I'm Caroline Veek, a co-founder and editor of The Sun, and I'm joined by Seth Lipsky, our legendary editor-in-chief. We're here to take you behind the headlines, unblinkered, principled, and straight. Let's get started. This week, we'll be sitting down with Jeffrey Myron, a professor of economics at Harvard University and the director of economic studies at the Cato Institute. Professor Myron is an expert in the economics of libertarianism and has advocated for many libertarian policies, including legalizing all drugs and allowing failing banks to go bankrupt. I have no doubt it will be a fascinating discussion. All right. Well, let's get started. Excited to have you here today. Um, Loved taking your class back in the day. Clearest framework in the game, in my opinion. (laughs) Um, And I'm so excited that you're writing Libertarian Land for us. So I thought we'd just start by hearing sort of your concept of Libertarian Land and like big picture what you think about it. And then we can go into some of the issues that are happening today and what you think it would be like in Libertarian Land. So the big picture is that in Libertarian Land, there is much, much less government than there is in any modern society. Um, and that is true across the board. It's true with respect to policies that one might think of as the favorites of the left, like redistributing income, subsidizing education. But it's also true of many policies of the right, any restrictions on private uh, behavior like drug prohibition or laws uh, aimed at homosexuality. Um, in some cases, policies that at various times have been popular with either the left or the, both the left and the right, such as restricting immigration. So to a first approximation, the amount of government would look like the amount we had in the 90s. And I mean the 1790s, not, not the 1990s. So that that's a very broad brush. Got it. So what, Fed raised rates yesterday, mm-hmm. combat inflation. What does libertarian economics and libertarian land say about inflation and what would they do about what we can expect to see some sort of recession going forward? Well, libertarians are very skeptical of central banks to to start with. So in libertarian land, there might well not be a central bank at all of any kind. So it would be very different sorts of conversations. Um, Or if there were a central bank or any federal authority that was determining the path of the money supply and interest rates, it would be asked to stick to very specific, easily monitored rules, okay, rather than having the discretion that modern central banks have. Now, <clears throat> it's unclear that you can actually write down rules and enforce that any central authority follow them. Say you have the kind of thing that people talk about, which is targeting nominal GDP, that is trying to get nominal income to grow at a given rate. There's so much noise in the data. There's so many measurement issues. There's so many lags in when we have the data that a clever central bank could probably circumvent that rule and have a lot of discretion. Same thing with an interest rate rule or a price level targeting rule. So I think what everybody has to accept is that you, is two things. One, we can't actually imagine an a uber-libertarian view on central banks and monetary policy, because as long as the government exists, it needs to raise some tax revenue. Even if it's a very small government, it needs to make some expenditure to hire you know, judges and uh, military and things like that. Once the government does that, 
It has to decide how it's going to pay for those things and how it's going to collect revenue. And it will choose something like the dollar or some, some kind of currency. But that's going to tend to define what is accepted broadly as payment. And so the government's always going to have a lot of control over the money supply. I don't think that even in you know, uber libertarian land, you can avoid that. And so it's really hard to know what the right thing to do is. There, it's very much in the weeds as to whether the current debates are sort of constructive or not. I think the first order thing that people are not talking about enough is we have this huge looming fiscal deficit. If you look at projections from the Congressional Budget Office and others, debt relative to the GDP is forecast to just grow without bound. Sooner or later, that means you can't pay for it because interest rates go up and the cost of servicing the debt is more than the entire you know, GDP. That is going to drive inflation, no matter what is true about supply chains, no matter what is true about Ukraine, no matter what is true about current policy. And so nobody's really talking about that or dealing with that. But to me, that's the key thing driving what's going to happen over the next 10 or 20 years. That's a good point. I uh, <clears throat> When I worked at, just brings back a little anecdote, when I worked at DOD, one of David Norquist, who was the deputy's favorite points was if interest rates rise by 1%, we will spend more on interest payments than we do on the military. Right. And so that's about to happen, I guess. Um, which it is seems really very, very likely. Thing. I mean, and, and there's been all this discussion about, well, interest rates are low, so the cost of having more government is low, more debt is low, and implicitly assuming that that's going to last forever. But as you just said, it's not going to last forever. In fact, it's already changed a bunch. Yeah. And that means the debt service costs are going to be much higher going forward. On the monetary question and sort of national money, um, you know, what is your view of Hayek's like denationalization of money? And how are you looking at crypto broadly, Bitcoin more specifically? And what do you think its ideal role is, if any? So I don't see any good reason for the central government, the Treasury or the Fed or whatever, to be restricting private kinds of payment systems. Indeed, we have some of that. Credit card systems okay, are a mainly private mechanism for making payments. Crypto was billed as potentially being a way of making payments. It doesn't seem to have happened very much so far. So far, it mainly seems to be a speculative asset. So I think the right libertarian view is we want the government to deregulate as much as possible to allow all these other kinds of assets or means of payment to exist if the market seems to want them to exist and not try to regulate them out of existence. At the same time, I'm not as convinced as some libertarians that crypto is somehow gonna keep the federal government from being as big and as bad as libertarians think it is. I think that's really just a separate issue. Partially, the federal government will always regulate crypto enough that it's not serious competition for the government source of money. The government doesn't want more competition for the dollar. And so I think the potential benefits of crypto are really quite mild. But there's no reason to try to prevent people from owning it, using it, and speculating it as much as they want. I just don't think that's actually going to happen that much once people realize it's not really solving any major problems. It's just another speculative asset. Even, I mean, it's been interesting to watch the crypto markets collapse alongside everything else. Because at least, you know, among a certain group of 
true believers, it's the ultimate anti-inflationary asset where, you know, you can't trust the dollar or any dollar run by central banks because they're going to inflate the value way by Bitcoin. And we're seeing that's really like not happening in this instance. It's not happening. The inflation that's happening in the dollar is, of course, devaluing the value of anybody's crypto assets the same way it's devaluing your stock holdings or bond holdings or your income. So that claim just never quite made sense to me. I mean, more fundamentally, what is crypto good for? What does it accomplish that doesn't already exist? We have a means of payment, the dollar and things built on the dollar like credit cards. Now, those are more costly and and time-consuming and over-regulated than they should be. But the best response to that is scale back all that regulation, let them be more flexible. For example, I heard that if you want to make payments, if you're an immigrant, you want to send payments back to your family in the country, your country of origin, okay, remittances, it's very expensive. You lose a huge amount in all the transaction fees you have to pay. So that's potentially a role for Bitcoin, okay, or other crypto. But the best solution is get rid of all those fees that are causing it to be expensive just to use the dollar to make transfer payments back to your families. So crypto is not really the answer to any obvious question, unless a lot of people really wanted to start making payments with crypto. But that takes, that assumes that there's going to be fluidity between crypto and other assets. And that seems to have been hard to achieve so far. And so there's very little actual transactions other than in crypto, but transactions for you know buying a toaster oven, it just barely yeah, it happened. ended up being more of a, or most cryptos ended up being more store of value than Yes, but you know, but, but it's a very and a very noisy store of value so far. It's interesting. I was talking to a a sort of founder in the NFT space earlier, and his point was that NFTs really are providing digital property rights, and like that, it's very hard to predict all the different applications of that. But really, that an NFT is like a file <coughs> type that enables digital property rights, uh, which I thought was an interesting frame. Um, but I take it you are a crypto skeptic. I'm, but it's not even skepticism. It's just, it's a live and let live. The government should leave it alone, but I personally wouldn't advocate that anyone, you know, buy a lot of crypto. I mean, there's a standard model economics that says everyone to be diversified should own a little bit of sort of every asset. So. Maybe everybody should own a little crypto just because that helps diversify. Um, my big regret about crypto is that I heard about it. I heard about Bitcoin back in 2008, very, very early on. <coughs> Excuse me. And I went to my wife and said, will you let me invest $1,000 in Bitcoin? And she said, yeah, $1,000, I'll let you do that. Because at that point, nobody had any idea how it was going to be. And I went online and I tried to find a way to buy it. And it just felt a little sketchy. You, know, you couldn't quite do it That's with your credit. Cards. Then, but that was the point, right? Exactly. But had I done it, even with the recent declines, I would have had a lot of money. A lot of money. Oh. I know. My uh, well, I mean, it really originated in like pretty committed libertarian circles for the most part. I think my brother is a uh, staunch libertarian, and he was similarly similar era talking to us about. It. Everyone's like, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so getting back to, I guess, key stories of the day, you know, oil prices, gas prices, Biden administration talking about taxing uh, windfall profits from oil and gas companies, which seems very counterproductive. Like, what would you say is the right approach to this problem? I mean, first order, I don't think there's an obvious solution to the problem. Gas prices are high, partially because of general inflation, partially because of the war in Ukraine, some miscellaneous other supply chain type issues. It's not clear what any policymakers in the U.S. or elsewhere can do other than hoping or doing something to uh, end the war in Ukraine. The things that people are proposing are just completely misguided. That's going to have absolutely no beneficial effect on anything. One of the things I think is sort of funny is the same crowd, like the Biden administration, that's you know, now so worried about high gas prices should be cheering for them because they're very worried about global warming. And if you're worried about global warming, you want less use of carbon-based fuels and the high gas prices are doing that. You know, a carbon tax would be another way of doing it. And of course, the distributional implications of what happens if gas prices just go higher are different than if we had a carbon tax. But they should be, at one level, perfectly content to see the prices be high because that will shift people to other kinds of of energy. Um, I think I don't some think people a- are content to watch this play out for that reason? Yes and no, but they're, they're, I mean, the politicians are not consistent. The politicians are worried about, get, about getting elected and the electorate doesn't like high gas prices. I think that's the one thing that's not very controversial at all. Um, the administration's obviously worried about it and that's why their concern about global warming has sort of temporarily kind of gone out the window like, you know, releasing more reserves from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve and things like that. You don't have a view on exploration and like, how would all of that work? How, how would environmental policy work in libertarian land? Well, let's let's be more even a little more specific. How would uh, climate policy work? In libertarian land, it might include a carbon tax, okay? because there is a coherent case that burning of fossil fuels generates an externality. And libertarians do not deny that there can be externalities, and they don't necessarily deny that government should intervene to try to correct externalities like standard pollution. Okay, so things like the Clean Air and Water Act are plausibly reasonable responses to the fact that some activities generate air and water pollution. And the similar thing is true about the use of carbon-based fuels. But libertarians would insist that if we introduce a carbon tax, it has to be accompanied by reduction in pre-existing income or other taxes. So we're not increasing the amount of tax revenue. We're keeping the size of government the same. We're changing the structure of taxation so that we're taxing something which is arguably a bad, carbon, and taxing less things that we think of as good, such as labor supply and savings. Thank you for listening to this sample of Sages of the Sun. To listen to the whole episode and access our entire catalog, go to newyorksun.com. That's nysun.com.